in How Not to Die, I talk about modeling studies suggesting that if half of Americans just ate a single more serving of fruits or vegetables every day, we would prevent 20,000 cases of cancer every year. That's how powerful produce is. But because we're talking about conventional produce, the extra pesticide burden on the American public would cause 10 cases of cancer. So overall, we would just prevent 19,990 cases of cancer, right? That gives you a sense of the tremendous benefit from fruits and vegetables versus the tiny bump in risk. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, Buffalo, New York, and Greystones, Ireland. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode two of season six, number 398 overall, and it is the start of our All Stars of Health series. This is two weeks of live Q&As with the pillars of excellence in the health community. They are all coming together to make this the healthiest year of your life. And today's guest definitely is an all-star. He is a VIP. Dr. Michael Greger is here. He and I will be talking about his daily dozen. These are the foods that you should be eating and the habits that you should establish and do every day to really maximize your health. And because this was the exam room live, we took a lot of great questions from the exam roomies who joined us on YouTube and Facebook. Opening up the doctor's mailbag, we had questions about the best beans, the healthiest beans, how to maximize nutrient absorption. So that's mixing the foods and spices together to really get all of the benefits that you possibly can out of every single meal. We also had a question about water and how much you should be drinking every day, plus the best teas and the best and healthiest sweeteners for those teas. Plus, we have questions about vegans outliving people who eat that omnivorous diet. So do vegans really live longer? We're going to find out. And speaking of longevity, by the way, Dan Butner from the Blue Zones. He will be on the show next week as part of our Exam Room All-Stars Health Series as well. So if longevity is your jam, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for that. We have new live episodes every weekday for the first two weeks of the year. Noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. And of course, the podcast replay right back here as well. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And when you do, be sure to leave that five-star rating as well. But right now, it is time to raise your health IQ and kick off our all-star celebration of health with Dr. Michael Greger. My friend, so good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I love the fact that you're on the treadmill. 2023 is off on the right foot indeed, my friend. The question is, why are you not on your treadmill? I I don't know. I think it would be hard to juggle so much, but I got a new one downstairs over the holidays. Maybe we can finagle the studio and make that happen. So the next time you're on, I do you proud. There we go. There we go. <laughs> 
I've, I, man, I'm so pumped that you are here. You are definitely uh, an icon and belong in this starting lineup of all-stars that we've assembled. Here's the deal. We've got Dr. Neil Barnard coming up and T. Right. Colin Campbell. Yeah, Woo. Dr. Will Bolsowitz, Dan Butner from the Blue Zones, Rip Esselstyn, so many others. But you, sir, are starting everything off for us. And it's important that you are because right now, we have millions of people looking to improve their health as we start this new year. And you're making that a lot easier for them with your daily dozen. So when we're talking about Dr. Greger's daily dozen, what are we talking about here? Well, uh, this all comes from my book, How Not to Die, um, which I'm uh, psyched to report last year, finally sold its millionth copy. Um, yeah. uh, the first half of How Not to Die is just 15 chapters in each of the 15 leading causes of death. Talking about the role diet may play in preventing, arresting, or reversing each of our top 15 killers. But I didn't want it to just be a reference book. I wanted to be a practical day-to-day -day kind of grocery store guide as to how, to how to do this on a practical level. So that's the second half of the book where I send my recommendations around a daily dozen checklist of all the things I encourage people to fit into their daily routine. So, for example, greens. Every day, the healthiest vegetable, dark green leafy vegetables, berries every day, the healthiest fruits, legumes every day, like uh, beans, uh, split peas, chickpeas, lentils, uh, you know, according to spinotermic, tablespoon of ground flax seeds, the best beverages, best sweeteners, how much exercise to get every day. Just trying to inspire people to include some of the healthiest of healthy foods into their daily routine. And so it's available on a free app on iPhone and Android called Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen. It's just a simple checklist. You can track your progress day in, day out. And in fact, um, uh, we now have a Daily Dozen Challenge uh, going at uh, nutritionfacts.org, encouraging people to try it out for a day, see if they can hit nail the dozen, um, and then uh, post about it um, with the hashtag uh, Daily Dozen Challenge. Hashtag Daily Dozen Challenge. Um, uh, and uh, in hopes, again, just inspiring people to start their year off a little healthier. There it is. And we made that really easy. There's a link to take that challenge right now in the show description or in the episode notes. So click on it, get started. What are you waiting for? Um, let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag here and take some questions. We already have a lot of people wondering about some specifics here with the Daily Dozen. Um, we have somebody here wondering, we were just talking about exercise. So let's let's skip ahead for from the food for just a second. Somebody is wondering how much exercise should we be getting every day? Do we need to spend hours in the gym? You know, well, so first thing it's important to realize is that, uh, you know, you can't outrun a bad diet. Um, so, you know, for example, a moderately obese person doing moderately intense physical activity, like, you know, biking or very brisk walking, you know, might burn off approximately you know, 350 calories an hour. But, you know, most drinks, snacks, and other processed junk are consumed at a rate of about 70 calories per minute. So therefore, it only takes five minutes of snacking for someone to wipe out a whole hour of exercise. That's why you can see how the calories inside of the equation is so much more important than the calories out. Having said that, of course, exercise has a bevy of benefits um, uh, aside from weight loss. And so certainly encourage uh, people um, to exercise. It's one of the daily dozen, in fact, encouraging people 90 minutes, ideally, of moderately intense um, uh, exercise like brisk walking or 45 minutes of vigorous exercise a day uh, maximizes longevity. That's my uh, next book, which will be published in December on how not to age 
Um, and so if you look at the longevity research, you, you know, 15 minutes of walking is better than none. Any amount of exercise is better than none. But 30 appears better than 15, 45 appears better than 30, 60 appears better than 45, and 90 appears better than 60. And they didn't, that was the max they looked at. They couldn't find enough people to actually follow over time who actually exercise more than 90 minutes a day. So it's possible it goes up from there. But the best available balance of evidence we have um, is you get uh, increasing um, uh, longevity benefits up to that maximum. So uh, it doesn't mean you have to do that much every day. But I just want to, you know, say it like it is. This is what the science says. Um, any exercise is better than, than none. And uh, ideally, um, we should try to bump it up 90 minutes a day, moderate intensity. All right. So you've got a, a new book coming out in December, How Not to Age. Let me tell you something. That is an instant million copy seller right there. That is going to captivate everybody's attention, my friend. So uh, no aging till December. Then I got you covered. <laughs> All right, let's take a question here from, uh, we got a good question here from Michelle, uh, kind of to the longevity aspect. She's wondering whether vegans actually live longer. She said she's been having a conversation with her friends about that recently. Yes. So uh, it actually depends on, on, on what you eat. So there's a, um, uh, so uh, yes, indeed, there's greater mortal, uh, greater longevity among those who eat plant-based diets, including vegetarians and vegans. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, when Harvard's done these uh, plant-based eating scores, um, so uh, this all started with the Pre-Med study, this, this uh, large study, the Mediterranean diet. They came up with a pro-vegetarian score, which gives you points um, for eating any plant foods and subtracts points for eating any animal foods and found that people have higher pro-vegetarian scores um, uh, live longer and have uh, lower risk of chronic disease. No big surprise. Uh, but you know, those, those, you get points for French fries and potato chips and, you know, Coca-Cola and, you know, because those are technically uh, plant foods. What Harvard researchers did is they came up with a healthy plant-based index and an unhealthy uh, plant-based index. Um, and they found, and so, uh, same thing gets score, you get points, but you only get points for healthy plant foods. You know, like, uh, you know, whole grains and fruits and vegetables, beans. Um, and you actually get negative points for either meat, eggs, or dairy, or for processed junk food. And when you do that, um, you see this extraordinary uh, longevity benefit. It's significantly less chronic disease. But if you eat an unhealthy um, uh, a plant-based diet, so you're still reduce, minimizing your intake of uh, meat, eggs, and dairy, but you've replaced it with just lots of vegan donuts, you don't see the same kind of advantage. You actually don't get a shortening of life um, uh, unless you, uh, 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 unless you, you know, start piling on the animal foods, but still you miss out on some of the advantages of plant-based eating if you're eating the ultra processed stuff. So I encourage people to center their diets around whole plant foods, minimizing intake of uh, meat, eggs, dairy, processed junk, maximizing intake, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, beans, split peas, chickpeas, and lentils, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices. Um, uh, you know, basically real food that grows out of the ground. These are our healthiest choices. Let's take a question from Kiana here. Uh, we're seeing more cases of the flu and other respiratory mm. illnesses, obviously still in the pandemic here. Kiana is wondering what vegetables, Dr. Greger, you believe are the healthiest and the best for the immune system. 
Well, you know, there was a, uh, you know, there was a double blind placebo controlled trial of garlic published in 2001 um, that found that uh, those randomized to garlic actually not only had significantly lower risk of getting an upper respiratory tract infection like common cold, but um, 75% decreased duration of illness. So even those that did get the cold, I believe it cut the incidence of cold by like half. But um, uh, if you did get a cold, a one, it lasted 1.5 days instead of five days on average. So, um, cert, uh, so really tremendously significant um, in terms of improvement. Um, and you say, well, wait a second, 2001, what about all the randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials done since then? There haven't been any. Why? Because who's got what, big garlic? If there's just no money to be made, <laughs> um, uh, you know. And and uh, so, uh, so really, that's all we have is that one um, study. But that suggests that um, eating garlic may improve one's immune system. We do have lots of studies showing that you can boost uh, vaccine immunity. You can boost efficacy of of uh, of uh, vaccines in terms of increasing your antibody titer. Same vaccine being randomized. Uh, to uh, very specific fruits and vegetables. But in general, the message is just eat healthier, eat more plant-based. It'll boost um, uh, immune function across the board. This has uh, been shown for uh, influenza, been shown for uh, the come cold, and has now been shown for COVID. Now that we have data, um, there was, um, uh, again, Harvard researchers, hundreds of thousands of people found that those who are eating plant-based not only um, significantly less likely to suffer a severe course of COVID-19, actually significantly less likely to get infected in the first place. Um, and uh, this is not just because of comorbidities. This is after controlling for things like weight and diabetes and heart disease, um, th uh, you know, high blood pressure, things that increase your risk. So of course, duh, those eating plant-based uh, can uh, you know, potentially reverse all those conditions. No wonder they're less likely to get um, and uh, suffer seriously from COVID. But no, even put all that aside, um, still have a significant advantage suggesting that there's an immune boosting effect. All right, let's take a look at something else that's on the power play. We're talking about vegetables there. Let's shift over to beans, good for the heart, and pretty much everything else. Rebecca, though, is wondering which are your healthiest beans? Oh, wow. Um, so probably, so they're all good. And, ba and, and so the answer to the, these kind of questions are whichever bean you'll eat the most of. So, <laughs> so, so seriously. So, I mean, there's so little difference between them that it's the one that you're actually going to enjoy. So if you really love hummus, you really love chickpeas, well, then just, you know, look, eat your chickpeas. But um, if you were really uh, agnostic, like really didn't matter which kind of bean you were going to put in whatever dish, and you're like, well, I just want the best bean, um, then uh, probably... Um, there are these little, um, dark, what are called beluga lentils. Cause they kind of look like caviar. They're really small black lentils. Um, that probably has the most kind of, kind of bang for your buck in terms of nutrition. Um, and the bonus, they cook super easily. Like you can just, um, you know, kind of like boil them like pasta. You don't have to, you know, pre cook them or cook them for hours or stuff. In fact, they get done. They get mushy if you cook them cook them too much, which is fine if you're making miso soup or something, but I, or, or, or lentil soup. But um, so, yeah, that would probably be my legume pick. But as you'll find out when you talk to Dan Butner about the Blue Zones, it doesn't matter where you, uh, what kind of longevity region you live in, they're all surrounding um, their diet around a plant protein source, some kind of legume, whether it's black beans in Costa Rica or white beans in the Mediterranean or soy foods in Okinawa. 
Um, and so pick a being you love and think there's probably, I don't know how many there are. There's certainly dozens. Um, uh, you know, uh, keep, keep, keep exploring till you find some you love. Pick a bean, any bean. I mean, you can even do five star or a five bean chili, 10 bean chili. Just throw them all in there and just get all the benefits. You know what I mean? You know, just get them you all. You know one bean that I really, I mean, it's been a few years now, but it was a new bean to me. Um, I was speaking in Greece um, and had gigantes I, for the first what time. What is that? Gigantes are the biggest beans. They're massive beans. Um and uh, they have serve it like a side dish there. Um, they take forever to cook, but it's a totally different bean experience because they're like like two beans. That's your whole mouthful. So it's like a centerpiece of the meal. Very, very cool. I, you know, I totally forgot. I haven't had those in a while. I, I should get some more of them. Um, they're like super huge kidney beans, but like, you know, five times the size. A totally different bean experience. Man, I got to get my hands on some of those bad boys. Good. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's take a trip out to Helena, Montana, and a question from Cruciferous Kim at 1146. She got in early. She says, a friend claims that dairy helps to settle the stomach after eating a greasy meal. Is there any truth to this? Huh. Um, well, first <laughs> of all, I love your name, Cruciferous Kim. Um, uh, well, so, I mean, the, the closest I can think of is the dyspepsia research. So dyspepsia is kind of this upset stomach. Um, that you can certainly get after eating a greasy meal. Um, and the only thing that I've, that I can think of that actually helps, um, is, uh, carbonated water. So like seltzer water, um, uh, I have a video about that. And I think that showed that it significantly improved dyspepsia. Um, I, uh, I did not run across any evidence suggesting that, uh, milk helps. Speaking of uh, fluids here, Adela wants to know how much water should we be drinking every day? I know beverages are among your daily dozen there. Oh, absolutely. So it matters. Uh, it matters on the ambient temperature. It matters on your, your exercise level. But I do have um, uh, a suggested amount. This is assuming. So the Institute of Medicine has come out um, and said uh, and, and it gave a, a recommendation for amount of water. But that includes water in both beverages and food. And we get a certain amount of food every day. So and it's different for men and women. So my recommendations are based on the Institute of Medicine. This whole eight cups a day thing, ironically, actually goes back like a century ago based on a single person um, who measured his sweat and pee. And that would, and so if you, if you actually follow back all the medical citations for people say eight glasses a day, all goes back to this one dude. Um, so <laughs> since then, there's been better research. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of how, uh, how the recommendation came out. Um, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I encouraged, uh, three beverages primarily, um, water, um, uh, is the best beverage. Um, and then, uh, uh, if you're looking for something caffeinated, green tea, also matcha tea, uh, which is just powdered green tea where you actually drink the tea leaves themselves, white tea it all comes from the same plant. Um, and, uh, if you're looking for a, uh, a caffeine free option, uh, best herbal tea, probably hibiscus tea. Um, though, um, you'll, in my new book, I talk about some of the benefits of a green rooibos uh, tea, which is uh, kind of unoxidized, um, red rooibos tea and a chamomile. Uh, so, uh, there's, uh, there's benefits of those as well, but, uh, 
but yeah, hibiscus uh, significantly reduces uh, blood pressure, um, and uh, which is uh, a leading killer risk factor in the United States. I noticed coffee wasn't uh, necessarily on that list. A lot of coffee drinkers out there. Talk to us about what it is you know about coffee and whether it is good for you or maybe a little bit detrimental to your health. Oh, well, um, uh, this is, uh, um, uh, I talk about the, in how not did I talk about the benefits of coffee for the, uh, liver, mind, brain in terms of reducing one's risk of, uh, liver disease, Parkinson's, um, and, uh, um, so, so liver disease, Parkinson's, um, and a third ailment. Um, it's, 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 this book was written a long time ago. It's um, in the book. We can come back it's in the it. book. Um, and, uh, but there are some people that uh, shouldn't drink co uh, coffee can increase one's risk of uh, urinary incontinence, glaucoma, even if you have a history, family history of glaucoma, uh, might not be good for you. Um, but, uh, uh, coffee is a beneficial beverage. Um, but there's just an opportunity cost. Every cup of coffee is a lost opportunity to drink something even healthier was a cup of green tea. Um, and so, uh, so I, uh, so that's why I encourage people to drink green tea, but, uh, coffee is a healthy beverage. And in fact, um, it's actually featured in one of my chapters in how not to age. Oh, okay. That's a tease right there. My friend, stay tuned, stay tuned. Um, Lucy has a question. A lot of people don't like to drink their coffee black. They don't like to drink their tea straight. They like a little bit of sweet in there. So if somebody's looking for a healthy option when it comes to a sweetener, what's something that you might suggest? Depression. That's what the third one was for the there it is. liver, mind, and brain. So, uh, <laughs> so the mind being depression. So yes, uh, coffee has been shown to help depression. Okay. Sorry. Um, uh, and then in terms of sweetener, so the healthiest sweeteners, uh, are so-called green light sweeteners, these are whole plant foods. Um, so the healthiest sweet things are fruit and, you know, sweet potatoes and, you know, where you get all the fiber and all the wonderfulness there. Now, of course, that doesn't really. And so, like, if you're baking, you use something called date sugar. It's not really sugar. It's just dried pulverized dates. It's a whole food. Um, all the fibers there. Nothing's lost. Um, in my cookbooks, I uh, have recipes for date syrup, which, again, just taking dates and um, turning them into a sweetener without um, adding anything bad or taking anything good away. But because of all that fiber, you know, it doesn't really work in beverages. You know, it would make your uh, tea a little lumpy. So, um, <laughs> uh, so there are, so there's no really beneficial uh, sweetness, although I guess kind of blackstrap molasses has enough minerals um, uh, that uh, you could argue that's healthy, but a really strong taste. So uh, I couldn't imagine it really being used in most beverages, you use, you, though you could use it in cooking. So then we're really just down to, okay, what are like the least harmful um, uh, 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 sweeteners out there? Um, and so that would probably be something called erythritol, which is a uh, uh, sugar alcohol, but unlike something like sorbitol, um, it uh, is absorbed in your system. So it has less kind of a uh, a, a diarrhea quality if you take too much though there's you certainly can uh there is an upper limit um uh and uh it's possible in the future something like allulose which is a rare sugar uh may be given a clean bill of health although um my latest uh video on the subject it kind of ended saying it's still a little too early to tell so erythritol would uh probably be the winner at this point 
We mentioned soy in passing a little bit earlier. Trey at 12.05 has a great question, looking for a brass tacks kind of answer. Trey writes, I would like to know once and for all about breast cancer and soy, specifically triple negative. I've had triple negative twice, and now I am petrified to have any type of soy. What can you tell us there? Yeah, soy is misunderstood, right? People don't understand there's two types of estrogen receptors in the body, alpha and beta. The phytoestrogens, like the ones in soy, uh, bind to the beta receptors, where our own estrogen uh, binds preferentially to the alpha receptor. And so the effect on uh, different uh, of soy on different tissues depends on the ratio of alpha to beta um, receptors. So um, estrogen has positive effects on some tissues, negative effects on others. So for example, estrogen is good for the bones, but bad for the breast. So ideally what you'd have is uh, kind of what's called a selective estrogen receptor modulator, where it has estrogenic effects in some tissues, anti-estrogenic effects in other tissues. And that's exactly what soy phytoestrogens are. Soy appears to lower breast cancer risk. That's an anti-estrogenic effect, but at the same time reduces menopausal hot flash symptoms where that's a pro-estrogenic effect. So with soy, you get the best of both worlds. So should we should eat legumes, soy or other beans, chickpeas, lentils every day. Um, there's been about a half dozen studies following thousands of breast cancer survivors and those breast cancer survivors, and this is, uh, you know, estrogen receptor positive or negative tumors. Um, they uh, uh, overall, um, we throw it all together in what's called a meta-analysis that compiles all the studies. Those that uh, breast cancer survivors who eat soy um, tend to survive longer and have lower breast cancer recurrence rates, significantly lower risk of the, breast, of the cancer coming back um, compared to breast cancer survivors who don't consume soy. Um, and this is apart from the preventive, uh, the breast cancer preventer effects, um, uh, where um, women who eat soy, particularly in adolescents, have between 30 and 50% lower risk of getting breast cancer in the first place. All right, let's take a question here from Video 1000 Nights. We get this one from time to time. It's an interesting one. Uh, what do you suggest, Dr. Gregor, I do if I'm always hungry after eating a whole food plant-based meal that has a lot of fiber in it? How can you help somebody out like that? Um, well, so it's possible you're just not getting enough calories. Um, and so this happens a lot right when people um, initially switch to eating whole food plant-based. Um, is they have kind of an idea of how much a meal is, you know, based on how they've lived their whole life. So they look down at a plate and they say, oh, that's what supper is, this much food, this much volume, this much weight of food. But you cannot eat the same amount of food you were eating before because it's so calorically dilute. There's so few calories per cup, per pound in healthy foods that you'd actually, you know, if you actually, you know, uh, you know, do a dietary record for the day, you find that, oh my God, they're like getting six, 700 calories a day. That's like a starvation diet. Of course you feel hungry. Oh my God, you're like starving yourself. Um, and so uh, that's why um, you have to eat more food. Now you say, well, wait a second, <laughs> I get full. What do you mean eat more food? I'm already stuffed. Um, well, then you may have to eat uh, more frequent meals um, uh, and if you find yourself, um, losing too much weight, um, you can start adding calorically dense foods in like dried fruits and nuts and seeds and nut butters, um, smoothies, um, uh, where you can pack more calories in a smaller space. Um, but I would, uh, yeah, just encourage you to, uh, eat more frequently throughout the day. Um, and that's the wonderful thing about eating whole food plant-based. You can eat as much as you want. So it's not like, oh, I already had, you know, breakfast. I got to wait till lunch. No. Oh my God. Have an apple. Have a, you know, have a, 
you know, microwave a sweet potato. This is, you know, eat, eat all you want. This is, you know, because you're, I mean, that's, just, you're just piling on good nutrition. I mean, that's food paradise, right? When you tell somebody that they don't have to worry about counting calories anymore or any type of crazy scale that they have to weigh out everything before it is that they eat. It's just like eat the healthy foods and you're good to go. I think that that, Dr. Greger, is part of why eating this way is so sustainable for so many people. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, that's, you know, diets don't work by definition because, uh, you know, going on a diet implies that somebody you're going to go off a diet. Right? Permanent weight loss requires permanent dietary change. I mean, healthier habits just have to come a way of life. And if they're going to be lifelong, you want them to lead to a long life. Thankfully, the single best diet proven for weight loss just so happens to be the safest, cheapest way to eat for the longest, healthiest life. That's really kind of the, the bottom line theme of my book, How Not to Diet. Um, which goes through uh, all the, you know, all the, the, the weight loss, um, uh, centering on whole food plant-based and what you can do to accelerate uh, body fat loss beyond that. All right. Let's see if we can squeeze a few more in here with a couple of minutes that we have left. Uh, Kamari at 1221, is it more important to buy local or to buy organic? Ooh. Um, uh, it's probably not that important to do either in terms of uh, one's health. Um, you know, so uh, in How Not to Die, I talk about a modeling study suggesting that if uh, Americans on average just ate a single, no, half of Americans just ate a single more serving of fruits or vegetables every day, we would prevent 20,000 cases of cancer every year. That's how powerful produce is. But because we're talking about conventional produce, pesticide-laden produce, the extra pesticide burden on the American public would cause 10 cases of cancer. So overall, we would just prevent 19,990 cases of cancer, right? That gives you a sense of the tremendous benefit from fruits and vegetables versus the tiny bump in risk. Now you say, wait a second, why accept any risk at all? Why not get all benefit, no risk by choosing organic? Great. But we should never let concern over pesticides prevent us from stuffing our face for as many fruits and vegetables as it possibly can. Um, and in terms of eating local, you know, people may not understand that, um, you know, just because, I mean, so fresh, fresh is, is great, but sometimes frozen, for example, frozen berries, frozen greens can actually be, uh, you know, frozen the day of picking um, and actually uh, contain more nutrition than, you know, so-called fresh produce, which, you know, may have been sitting on the shelf for a week, um, you know, losing uh, nutrition every day. So, um, yes, look, if you have a garden, you can get fresh local, like, you know, uh, you know, right then and there, that's fantastic. But, um, uh, you know, the fact that we can get fruits and vegetables year round wherever we live on this planet, um, thanks to the modern world, that's a fan, you know, so the fact if you were just eating local, are you going to find, you know, blueberries in the winter? In a lot of places, you may not be able to. Um, but that's why we have uh, global trade to get you nutrition anywhere, anytime, so you can stay maximally healthy. And speaking of maximizing, Kamaria also with a follow-up question, wanting to know about maximizing nutrient absorption, specifically when it comes to legumes and vegetables. What are some spices or some things that we can kind of throw in there with those foods to really make sure that we're reaping all the possible benefits? How, well, the thing that comes to mind is carotenoid nutrients like beta carotene, lycopene. Um, are uh, These are fat-soluble nutrients and so need um, fat for maximal absorption. Um, and so... Uh, throwing some, you know, uh, you know, instead of just adding salsa to your, you know, uh, canned beans and corn tortillas, adding some salsa, um, uh, tortillas, beans, and a little avocado 
will actually help you get more lycopene from those that red pigment in tomatoes into your bloodstream than if you hadn't had the avocado, even eating the same amount of tomatoes. Same thing with a salad. You get more beta carotene, for example, absorbed into your system from the carrots in that salad if you, you know, sprinkle some pumpkin seeds on top. It doesn't take much. Um, and of course, I encourage people to eat whole food sources of fat. Um, uh, but that would indeed, um, uh, otherwise you're, you know, flushing a lot of that nutrition, um, uh, out the other end and, uh, you know, you, you paid for that salad. You want to maximize all that salad going into you. Of course, having said that, some of the benefit of these nutrients is actually our microbiome, our good gut bugs. And if we don't absorb those nutrients, guess who gets to benefit from them? Potentially our microbiome. And so even if we don't absorb something, it still may benefit um, us um, way down to the end of our large intestine. All right. And really quickly, Ralph is tuned in on Facebook right now, wondering how many beans or how much beans we should be eating every day. What's your recommendation? So I uh, agree with the American Institute for Cancer Research, suggesting that we should eat uh, a serving of either legumes or whole grains at every single meal. Um, so that's a half cup. Um, and so it doesn't have to be just bean beans, like beans out of a can. That's certainly easy and cheap. Um, and convenient, but you know, it can be bean dip or lentil soup or hummus or, you know, any way you want to have your legumes, ideally three servings a day. There it is right there. See what you've been doing for the past half hours, hitting health home runs. And that is why you are batting lead off for our all stars of health series. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. This has been fantastic. So happy to be here. Keep up the good work and looking forward to connecting throughout the year. Dr. Michael Greger, what a fantastic conversation. Totally caught me off guard at the beginning of the show when he was like, well, where's your treadmill? It is literally about eight feet below the studio right now. It's down there, I promise you. I just don't have it hooked. We couldn't fit it in the studio. Maybe we should rearrange this year. Oh my goodness. I wanna take a quick second to say thank you to Kimberly for leaving a fantastic review for the Exam Room Podcast on Apple Podcast and on Spotify, and also sharing it with her friends and family so they all can get healthy together. She wrote in her review, if you need facts about nutrition and a ton of inspiration to get there, this is the podcast for you. She also says she loves the music that we use and it makes her dance. That's so cool. Here you go, I'll turn it up for you. Thank you, Kimberly. And if you could take a moment, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever you get your shows, because every new subscription really does help someone who right now is chasing their health. And they may be confused and they don't know where to turn to get the real truth about things. But by subscribing to the exam room podcast by the physicians committee, you are literally taking this person by the hand and you're telling them it's going to be okay. Let me help you. That subscription, it does help them because it makes it so much easier for someone in that position to find the show and the answers that they've been looking for. And you know, you know how powerful this information can be what Dr. Gregor and I were talking about today, what we always talk about here on the show, how powerful it can be, life-changing, and in many cases, even life-saving. So click the link right now if you haven't already done so that is in the show description, in the episode notes. Subscribe to the show, 
and leave that five-star rating. And before we wrap up today, I want to go back to hydration. We were talking about that with Dr. Greger today. Della's question, she was wondering a little bit earlier about how much water we should be drinking every day. Well, it turns out that a new study just came out showing that if you're not drinking enough, you're actually speeding up the aging process. That's right. If you're not hydrated enough, you are aging faster than the average person. Let me read you this excerpt from an article that was posted to NBC News website. It says, quote, Adults who aren't sufficiently hydrated may age faster, face a higher risk of chronic diseases, and be more likely to die younger than those who stay well hydrated, according to a new study from the National Institutes of Health. The results are based on data collected over 25 years from more than 11,000 adults. So here's the deal. They were tracking hydration levels by the sodium that was in their blood. The higher the level, the more likely they were to be dehydrated. Now, keep in mind that a normal blood sodium level here, according to experts, is between 135 and 146 millimoles per liter. Going back to the article here, quote, the researchers found that the participants with high blood sodium levels aged faster physiologically than those with lower levels, which was reflected in health markers associated with aging, such as high blood pressure, cholesterol, and blood sugar. The findings suggested that people with levels at the higher end of that normal range, above 144 millimoles per liter, they were 50% more likely to show signs of physical aging beyond what would be expected for their years compared to people with lower blood sodium levels. They also had, and this is key here, they also had a roughly 20% higher risk of dying prematurely. And going back to the article, quote, they really paint a really clear picture here. The article says, quote, even people with blood sodium levels above 142 millimoles per liter had elevated risks of developing certain chronic diseases such as heart failure, stroke, chronic lung disease, diabetes, and dementia, according to the study. Here's the thing, though. Experts who were also quoted in the story are also kind of stressing caution here. One of them even used the term highly speculative when it came to the connection between hydration and aging. That's a quote from Dr. Lawrence Appel from Johns Hopkins. But there is a link right now to the study in the episode notes if you would like to do your own research. You can check that out. I encourage you to do that. But for today, that, my friend, is all the time that we have. That is going to wrap up episode one of our All-Stars of Health series. Dr. Neil Barnard will be here next, then Dr. Will Bolsowitz, and then Rip Esselstyn from Plant Strong will wrap up our first week of All-Stars. And then week two kicks off in a glorious way with Dr. T. Colin Campbell. I also want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Michael Greger for being here and batting leadoff on our All-Star series. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.